Hey, this is Derek Lau, game director for Guild of Guardians. For great info on the latest in how NFTs are exploding in games like ours, make sure to check in with Edge of NFT often and pay close attention. Hey there, Edge of NFT curious listener. Great to have you here. Stay tuned today for a great episode and you'll learn how a bold new gaming project, Guild of Guardians, is poised to surpass some of the biggest existing projects in NFT gaming before it's even launched. And you'll learn why folks are still not close to being bored with the Bored Ape Yacht Club. Plus, you'll find out what insights our guest today, a former Bored Ape owner himself, has on why this community is still growing and changing in fascinating ways. Learn all this and more on this next edition of Edge of NFT. Don't forget to subscribe to our newsletter at edgeofnft.com to find out more about the latest news and giveaways. Welcome to the Edge of NFT with your hosts, Jeff Kelly, Ethan Janney, and Josh Krieger. The podcast that brings you the top 1% of NFTs today and what will stand the test of time. We explore the nuts and bolts and the business side and also the human element of how NFTs are changing the way we interact with the things we love. This podcast is for the dreamers, disruptors, and doers who are pumped about this ecosystem and driving where it goes next. Today's episode features Derek Lau, game director for Guild of Guardians. Guild of Guardians is a play and earn mobile role-playing game where players turn their gaming passion into NFTs. He has a unique blend of experience in gaming, product, and startups with long and sustained exposure to NFTs since 2017. The game is published by Immutable and developed by Stepico Games. Immutable is a tech company that leverages blockchain to unlock value and align incentives within the $90 billion video games industry. Derek, welcome to our show. Hey, thanks for the intro. Good to be here. You're joining us so early in the morning out there in Australia, right? I know. It's, it's always nice to, to chat to people in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> I think we saw some coffee back there, right? Yeah, I'm all coffeeed up. I got, I got one ready to go here. Nice, man. What's, it's super great to have you uh, here with us today. Uh, we've heard a good amount about Guild of Guardians, and we'd love to know a little bit more about it. Maybe some background for our listeners, man. Where did the idea come from, and, and how did you all bring it together? Well, you guys actually summed up the idea really well, so I'll tell you more about how it started. So around two years ago, I joined Immutable, which back then was already a, a VC-funded startup focusing on creating, re- making digital worlds real. And so basically I came on board and they had a goal of figuring out how to add new blockchain games or NFT games into their platform. And what we did was we kind of did a, a series of investigations in terms of how to do that, what kind of game would be a good fit, who we should work with to do that. And we ended up settling on the mobile RPG genre for a few reasons. Maybe we can, we can dive more into that later if we want. But we ended up figuring out that we wanted to build this mobile RPG game now it's called Guild of Guardians, and we found a, a good partner to do that with as well. And so over the last year or so, we've been working on this game, building out this team and trying to create something that's really, that's going to be really, really big because um, that's really, that's ultimately our goal, which is to create this mainstream game that onboards millions of people into NFTs and crypto. And then a few months ago, we, we kind of announced. As a group, how did you guys, did you guys know each other for a long time? Like, how did you come together like in such, I mean, building something like this is a massive undertaking. You don't need to take that kind of partnership lightly. No, no, for sure. It was a growth over time, right? So, I mean, Immutable itself as a company had previously released the game and, and the game is still going. 
which is a trading card game called uh, Gods Unchained. And so as a company, we already knew how to release games and some of the challenges involved and some of the learnings involved in doing that. And then so what we did was there were a few of us who investigated how to kind of add another game and we ended up kind of partnering with a, a games development studio who had built many mobile games before. And so they brought in a lot of the expertise in terms of how to build mobile games. Whereas on our end, we had the expertise on how to kind of design some of these games, how to market and publish some of these games. And so that's, that's kind of where Immutable focuses. That's why we're more of the publisher and owner of the game. And so by doing that, we also accelerate a lot of growth as well, because you're right, it's not very, it's not necessarily easy to, to build something from scratch. Right on. That's really interesting, Derek. What are some of the nuances of doing an MFT related game as opposed to a traditional game? And I guess the industry is moving so quickly, right? And we've seen a lot of games come out just in the last few months and sort of buck the trend of, of the crypto market overall during that time, which had been relatively sideways, these games are going up. What are the things that go through your mind in terms of bringing an NFT game that are different from a traditional game? I would say there's a, there's a few things that are different. And so the first thing that comes to mind is that traditional games are designed to have a closed economy. So they're designed to not allow anyone to own anything or trade anything in the economy. And that's, this is part of the design. And the game actually, those games actually wouldn't work if you suddenly added in trading in a lot of instances because it would just break the game. Whereas these NFT games, a fundamental principle of these NFT games is that there are NFTs, which are by their nature like tradable, provably scarce, et cetera. And so the core economy of these games need to be designed differently. And so the game design off needs to be quite, quite unique if you want to make the most out of NFTs, if you want to make them a, a powerful addition to the game to make the game better. Totally. In this case, you got a multiplayer fantasy action role-playing game where players are able to build their dream team of guardians and compete in this guild to earn epic tradable rewards. Sounds really cool. What's the difference here between like a play-to-win game versus a play-to-earn game? Because there are nuances here that are important for people to understand. Absolutely. So I guess taking a step back, we should think about what pay-to-win actually means. And so often in, in these games, what it actually means is that one player is able to buy an advantage using often a lot of money. And they use that to basically win over other players, often in PvP. So kind of like beat up other players. And the reason that it's considered a bad experience is because as a player, potentially as a free-to-play player, you're, you're matched up against this player who's just bought a shitload of stuff and is beating you every match. And that's the reason why it's got such a negative connotation in the space. And think about, I played mobile Madden sometimes and it's totally less fun if I'm playing against people that aren't at the same level as me. And I want, you know, they've done a good job of increasing the abilities of the players over the length of the season. So at the beginning of the season, you're more of a rookie. And then in the season, you're more of a badass all-star. And I think that does make it a lot more fun. You don't want like a David and Goliath situation is what you're saying, right? Yeah, exactly. And you don't want it. I think it's more so that you don't want it when one person is spending a lot of money, their fun is at the expense of others. So that's when you create this pay to win situation. When you're, you're spending money and, and other people are having less fun because of the fact that you spent a lot of money. 
it's like no salary cap in the NBA. If you took that, <laughs> if you took that out, man, it'd be no fun. And all, all pro sports, right? It makes yeah. for a level playing field to some degree. Yeah, exactly. And so this is what we're really trying to counter with this kind of underlying issue. The way we do that in Guild of Guardians is that the game is very much focused around the social and guild part of the game. And there's a few reasons there. Like one is it counters this, to some degree, it counters this, this idea of pay to win because you're working together as a team. And it's more kind of co-op and, so, and, and social focused or co-op competitive, as opposed to as an individual, you're buying all these things and you're trying to beat up every other player. So instead, there's a situation where if you're an individual and you do spend a lot of stuff, you'll probably be celebrated by your guild because you're actually helping out everyone else in that guild that you're in. And at the same time, you're not necessarily causing anyone else to have a, a bad experience because a key part of the game is we also want to make it so that players of can specialize. So players can end up having their own role in the game, regardless of if you're a really big spender, if you're a really small spender, you have a, a role in the game. Or regardless if you're like really high level, you're just a beginner, you still have a role in the game. And that's what a real economy is. Everyone has a role. And that's kind of what we're trying to create in the game. Can I nickname like a guy on my team that's big spender? Can I, can I nickname him Diamonds or Mr. Whale or something? Or does he, does he get to choose his own nickname? You guys can call him whatever you want. I'm sure. <laughs> it actually does. It seems like there is some some influence from like traditional card games, like physical in-person games, like some of the stuff like Wizards of the West Coast put together, Magic the Gathering and things like that. I think that's influenced gaming a lot in general, but did that play into how you guys structured this thing at all? A little bit. I think the if you look at some of the games from the 2000s or some of the really early MMO RPGs that had pseudo open economies and the fact that they had these like they let players trade the digital items and then people could like in the in the black market trade it for real money <laughs> so if you look at games like that I, like, I think a lot of the open economy design principles have actually been seen before but it's 20 years ago and most people have forgotten about how they work because these get these days games are, have a different model free to play and so i think a lot of the thinking is takes on the learnings of, of that period as well kind of the golden era there and in terms of kind of Magic the Gathering specifically, I think we don't necessarily take as much influence from a trading card game perspective, but we do, our game is, has, is in this fantasy setting. So we do take inspiration from things from like the overall general world, also kind of the, the Dungeons and Dragons world as well. In our game, people can play as not just humans, but also like orcs and elves and things like that. So my question here, I want to move it over to kind of the asset side of things. You know, we're focused on NFTs on the podcast. How do you empower gamers to own and trade their assets? I know you might connect them with a real world economy in some way. How does that work? So our goal is we want to onboard millions of players. And so the way we do that is the game is free to play and it's also available on iOS and Android. So we want to make it as accessible as possible to on mobile, which is like the most popular platform. So people can start off free to play and effectively there's normal in-game currencies that are not on the blockchain that you can earn. So for example, as you're playing, a game, you're, you're battling in these dungeons, you defeat the, the bosses and you earn materials. So you might earn crafting materials or you might earn summoning shards, things like that. So what players can then do is they can use these normal in-game soft currencies and also pay a small amount of tokens as well, which is our kind of hard currency that governs the game in order to, to mint these NFTs. And so people can basically play the game, get stuff for free and mint these NFTs. And that's how it's going to work. So the NFT is going to be more premium in the game and not everything in the game is an NFT is, is kind of the point I'm trying to make. And then once it becomes an NFT, it means that the player owns it, they can trade it whenever they want. 
they can hold it, they can do all these these cool things with it because it becomes this digital asset. Well, what's really cool there that you mentioned is you have to earn the right to mint that NFT by how well you play the game, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, so there's, there'll be a few different ways to create these NFTs, or we, we like to call them mint. I guess there's a very blockchain term. And mint these NFTs, and they'll involve playing the game. And in fact, crafting, which is one of the key mechanics in the game, will involve you having to also play with your guild, with many other players. So the only way NFT items in the game are made is through players, and it's by players playing the game, getting crafting materials, and working with a guild to craft items. Got it. Hence the name Guild of Guardians, right? Hence the name Guild of Guardians. That's awesome, man. This is like so cool to, to learn about. So on that same thread, you have a partnership with Sandbox, right? This is the, the virtual world where players can build and own and monetize their gaming experiences using NFTs. So what in your mind makes the marriage between mobile gaming and NFTs you know, slash blockchain so appealing? There's, yeah, I think there's a few things here. First is that mobile games are huge. Like it's twice as more... It's twice as big as PC. It's growing like three times or four times as fast. So it's a really, really popular category. It's, it's the most accessible form of gaming. And that's one of the main reasons we want to build on it because we want to make it super accessible. And then in terms of, are you sorry, are you also asking about the partnership with Sandbox as well? Yeah, absolutely. It sounds really interesting. I think we've talked about it a few times on the episodes. How does that all tie in? Yeah, so ultimately, Guild of Guidance, we, we want Guild of, we're building the Guild of Guidance mobile game. So as developers, that's what we're, we're building. But that's not necessarily where like the Guild of Guardians universe will end. Because what we, what we really want to do is we, the, the power of NFTs is that we can have aligned incentives with the community. And so what we want to do is we also want to encourage the community to build on top of the game, build whether that's content, podcasts, development tools, or metaverse games projects like in Sandbox. This is the general idea we want to push towards. And we've already seen actually some steps towards this where our community have started doing a lot of really cool things. And so the collaboration with Sandbox is, is a step in that direction where we want to do something with another project that's not Go to Guardians, but where it, it kind of extends the universe and ultimately creates what we want to do is create a win-win situation. You know, more people learn about Sandbox, more people learn about us and get engaged. And hopefully like also the community members can start building stuff as well. Maybe so they can start building a, their own you know, game within Sandbox. And they can even monetize and create a business. And so this is kind of what we want to facilitate, where there's all these community-driven content that adds value to the overall ecosystem. Yeah, man, it sounds so cool. So I, and I know there's like so much momentum, you know, behind this. Everybody's trying to, I think, build their guilt. Yeah, yeah, it's exciting. Yeah, I'm trying on the edge of NFT guild. I'm kind of like how it sounds. <laughs> you guys should create one. Let's go with the guild of NFT. <laughs> we can yeah. go deep on a naming session here, guys. <laughs> Well, look, Derek, I mean, Jeff mentioned that you guys have, or you mentioned you're trying to build a community, but I think you're being rather modest because you have over 140,000 pre-registered players, which is pretty amazing. And from our research... It could be be 150,000, though. I mean, let's be clear. Yeah. (laughs) And you sold more than four and a half million dollars of assets so far with more to come from, from my understanding. That's pretty amazing. You've talked about the mechanics at the highest level of this game, but let's sharpen the pencil a little bit more. What do you attribute this type of success to? So we've always had a very clear strategy, which is that we want to build this game that is absolutely massive. And it's not easy at all. 
that's quite difficult, right? It's going to take quite a long time, but we're here to kind of build for the long term and really disrupt the industry. And I think at that high level vision and strategy level, we have a lot of people who are bought into that. Like there's compared to other projects, which might be like, might not have as much capital or might be small or might have small ambitions. I think we kind of stand out there as in terms of what we're really trying to do and also having the team and game to back it up. Are, are you open to sharing how much capital was gone into building this game? I can say we're, we're very, very well funded in terms of the game. There's a couple of things I can't share right now. <laughs> there you go. But I think it's important for people to understand this doesn't just happen overnight. There's a lot of thought that's gone into this. Exactly. I think like if you think about it, most, there's a bit of a, a tangent, but most NFT projects do a sale of NFTs in order to build the project, right? As a fundraising. We're fortunate in the sense that we actually don't need to do that. We're going to build this project regardless. And then now any money that we get from selling NFTs is just a bonus. I think on that side, like we're, we're very committed to this. So that, that's on the strategy and vision level. And I think the other thing in terms of building a community is, is that we have always tried to take a very organic and creative approach because a lot of the NFT space is about how do you break out of the noise? <laughs> because there is a lot of noise. There's so much stuff happening all the time. Uh, it's, it's very hard to keep up. And so that's a core part of our kind of community building and marketing strategies. How do we break out of the noise? How do we keep people engaged? And we've, we've, done a, we've done a few interesting things before where we've done these events, which have gone almost viral within certain parts of the NFT space. And that those, these kind of little experiments and events have allowed us to massively build our community. Yeah, you sort of mentioning a little bit already about community building, but I wonder if you could dive a little deeper on how you're going to use the capital you might have raised from successful sales and, and of course, maybe undisclosed investments somewhere above $100,000 probably. And where those funds might go and, and maybe even touch upon the five-year vision of Guild of Guardians. Sure. So the money ultimately goes back into the game. So what we're aiming to, to soft launch on mobile early next year, but that's really not where it ends. That's where it, it starts. And so we're going to need a lot more capital and in order to take it to the next level. So we want to take it from zero to one. So the first step is getting, you know, hundred thousand players, right? Step after that is getting to a million players. Step after that is getting to, you know, 10 million players, right? And so we want to, each incremental step is a step change in the project. And that's really where it's, it, where it's going in terms of a lot of capital. So I imagine a lot of it will be used to bring new users. A lot of it's going to go back to the community to build out, you know, all these things and not just have us developing things, but end up having this, this kind of universe as well. And so we really plan to try to make this thing as big as possible, one step at a time. And each step is, is kind of equally difficult, but like more, more, more rewarding. Right. And when you say, you know, you mentioned a million users, 10 million users, of course, not to pigeonhole you or anything, but do you see a timeline on that in terms of say a five-year vision? I don't know if you've had experience in this already. So it's almost like you know the trajectory, you're going to hit certain milestones by certain dates or, you know, what are your thoughts about how quickly this might happen and, and where things might be in five years? Yeah, I can't put any, you know, any certainty in the timeline. Right. It always depends, depends on a lot of different things. I think what I can say is that our goal is kind of to make this as, as big as possible. I think as soon as the game gets released, I expect we'll see a lot of Attention because there's, a, there's already, this, you know, like you said, there's this really big community. I think we have over 200,000 people in total across kind of different channels. And so I expect that's when we first launched, we already have this really strong user base. And then what we plan to do is kind of really scale it from there. 
And what we want to do is we want to make it so that the game naturally brings in these new users because other people are hearing about it, they're seeing their friends play, and it kind of just completely explodes. And so that's the goal. It could be very quick, but again, it's not easy. And ultimately our goal is like, we also want the, the game economy to be huge. So it's not just about, there's a few things like this, having a lot of players, but also having this billion dollar economy as well within the game. And I think so that's kind of one of our other goals as well, which is a billion dollars traded, $10 billion traded, et cetera, mm-hmm. as kind of these long-term ambitions. I yeah, think man. it's worth sort of putting out a benchmark here that it seemed like you guys are prepared to blow by. Alien Worlds, I'm looking it up, had 100,000 players in April, and that's one of the most popular games in the space. And in the last, I don't know, they're more recent numbers, maybe you do, but what we're talking about here is is pretty parabolic potential growth, sort of right alongside the biggest games in the space. Yeah, guys, Derek's being super modest, man. This thing is kicking <laughs> ass already, and its trajectory is like sick. Like, you know, that's it's no joke, right? Like, the, I mean, that goal, the billion-dollar economy, honestly, I think for what you're building, it may even be just the start, right? Exactly. So it is, an, and look, like we're, we're here for the long term. It's, we're not necessarily going to get everything right at the beginning, but I think we definitely have a real, we're in a really good spot right now because we've got this really good community who are not just big, but they're very positive about about the game and so like i think we have actually built this really positive community everyone helps each other out when you join the discord you get you know welcomed and any questions get answered by the community members so those we've got all these people who are really bought into the vision and, and really believe in what we're doing and they're aligned with us you know long term i think you brought up a really key point somewhat subtly just now which is where we don't have all the right answers yet and i think this is sort of a part of the gaming experience and beta testing experience that has changed in the last few years from the old days where you just play a game and fans play it and they complain and they stop playing it. Like there's more of an agile ongoing interaction now between the community and the development studio. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Because I think it's important for people to understand the humanity that goes into the foundational principles with which you're building this game and interacting with the community and figuring out what goes right and goes wrong. And, you know, if the wizard doesn't cast the right spells, you change the spells the wizard can cast, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So I think traditionally games have taken the approach where they they just launch. <laughs> they just go into soft launch and then full launch. And they're often, these days, a lot of the games are quite metric driven. And so their goal is to get a certain retention level, pay a certain amount of ads, make a certain amount of money per user, and then just like, that's the game. And then they make money. Um, and then they, they, they build another one. Whereas I think we, or maybe not, not even just us, like and a lot of the NFT games in general are taking a different approach where because of the fact that they, a lot of these projects sell NFTs before the game's out, they're doing a lot of community building before the game's out. And so while it's even in development, right? And so then getting the community involved a lot earlier in the process, and by doing that, they're also kind of setting the expectations that, hey, like this thing is still being built. And, and people know that people are a lot more forgiving in the, in the NFT space in terms of when games go wrong and things like that, or if they're not as polished, um, just because they know like this is like everyone's super early in the space. Um, and so I think there's a different culture and dynamic there in terms of the expectations. And so that's something that we, we try to manage and also like be, be honest to the community about as well, like set the, set the right expectation in terms of what they should expect like they shouldn't expect the game, the first version of the game to come out to be 
super polished and, and, and final. Like we're going to be adding new stuff over time. We're going to be iterating and changing. And so I think just having that, being able to create that community early so that you can then t- like interact with them and set those expectations and bring them along the journey is what we're beginning to see culturally happen in, in a lot of these NFT games. I think that's just a general lesson in the world of NFTs that we've seen with artists and, you know, and all sorts of different aspects of the industry is just get it out, just create. Perfection is definitely the enemy of the good when it comes to this industry and how fast it's moving. Yeah. Yes. Having that supportive community, right, is a big part of that, giving you the confidence to share early and often and knowing that the folks aren't going to judge you too harshly for it, right? But when you think about others in this space, Derek, like if you were giving advice to someone um, who's thinking about starting a project like this, we've talked to so many earlier today, we're having a great conversation with folks about uh, starting a game that incorporates NFTs. Like, What advice would you have for people just getting moving? Yeah, I would say the first one is to really think about what kind of game you're trying to build. Because I think there are different avenues can go down, not just in terms of like the genre or play style or things like that or platform, like mobile PC, but also in terms of like how you want NFTs to keep an edge in the game. Whether you want to kind of have NFTs on top of a, like on one structure you have, it's just a really polished, like normal game and the NFT is one small part of it, potentially. On the other hand, you have like, it's fully on the blockchain and it's NFTs is, is the whole thing and there's tokens and those other things. And maybe there's something in the middle as well. So I think strategically, it's kind of deciding where you want to play, like whether it's fully money focused and you just invite people who want to play and, and make money through the game or whether it's, you don't want money to be involved and you just want NFTs to be, you know, cosmetics and, and other things like that. So I think there's a, there's a spectrum of which these creators can choose where they want to play. And then after that, it really depends on the situation they're in. I think building a game is, is not easy or cheap. Uh, necessarily. And so having capital to do that is quite important. If they have a smaller team or if they're an individual, then luckily in this space, like people are willing to invest in projects at an early stage by buying NFTs. So like founders can consider starting with some kind of pre-sale where they've got a, they've got the design polished out. They've got the team that's willing to come on board. They've got all these things. And then they're just looking to get capital by selling these NFTs before the game's out. And then from there, it's really about like building (laughs) <laughs> delivering on, on what you said you're going to build, which is probably the hardest part. Yeah, that's super helpful advice for books. And you've been in the space a long time. You've seen it evolve over that period of time. I'm really curious what other NFT projects, platforms, either existing or yet to be formed, stand out to you as game changers that will be here in three, five, ten years or more. Mm. I don't like to comment too much on other projects. I do think there's going to be a, a series of projects from, I guess you can call it this, this generation of NFT projects that are going to be here for a while. For example, there's a lot of activity happening right now on the collectible and art space, like the profile picture type projects. You've got one in your background. I see like hash marks, for example. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> there's going to be a few winners. Can we at least get a confession out of you? Like, do you own a board eight? <laughs> I did, but then I sold it actually. Mm-hmm. Nice. to buy some other stuff but yeah i think there's going to be there's going to be winners like clear winners from this the nft space has proven that narrative is extremely powerful so that's the reason why like you know crypto is so popular where they have this really powerful narrative they're the first like kind of before they predated the rc 721s and the like collectible etc and so i think some of the projects which have a really strong narrative and also a really long-term 
community are the ones that are going to survive. So the community that believes in them long term. So they're not there to, you know, make a quick buck, but they're there because, hey, they, they actually think that the, the project's going to be there for 30 years and that's why they're part of it. Um, I think those are the ones that are more, it's almost self-fulfilling. Like those are the ones that are more likely to, to be around for a long time. Are there any particular aspects of NFTs outside of the gaming use case that you think are most exciting? Yeah, so I think the, I think art and collectibles is another one. Like with that, they, that was the first category to really get off to a boom uh, in the last six months. And then I think bridging NFTs with utility is another one. So beginning to see a couple of those projects where you buy this NFT and you get different utility, whether that's in real life, like physical, whether that's some digital, whether that's like access to a club or something like that. So I think those, that's going to see a lot as well. Um, and then I think there's on the physical digital side, there's also probably quite a few unexplored things that can also be done as well. Ooh, what are those unexplored things? Sounds juicy. <laughs> the unknown unknowns. <laughs> the unknown unknowns, yeah. <laughs> well, I think it's, it's the idea of con- connecting digital NFTs to something in the physical world. So for example, if you guys have seen the like Unisocks project, that's an early example of an experiment done there where people could, people could buy this sock NFT and they could choose to burn it in exchange for the physical version. So it's like interesting things like this where it combines the two worlds, which is, I think, what we'll see more. They're also difficult because they have to combine the real world. <laughs> but I think, like, we'll see those more as well. The real world always makes things difficult. I know. <laughs> Damn real world. But I think what's really interesting about Unisocks is that people no longer want to redeem their NFT for the socks because <laughs> socks get smelly and get holes in them. But the NFT keeps going up in value. So why would you tra- exactly. do that trade? You know? Yeah. It's just to show off that you could afford to do that. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I gotta say, like crypto punks is fascinating in the sense that now the talk that town is fractionizing these punks because it's they're getting so mm-hmm. expensive. You know, just like a stock split, so to speak, to make these crypto punks more accessible to more people. Everyone wants a CryptoPunk and it just, the higher they get in value, the more people want them instead of thinking that that value is too high. So it's fascinating. It goes to a lot of the points that you made today about building a strong community, which is a theme that we always have heard on the show and Mm. you really underscored and we appreciate that. Hello, Explorer at the Edge of NFT and many other things, I'm sure. Put down that dish you're watching. Take a quick pause in your run. Grab your phone off the dashboard and pull over. Go to edgeofnft.com superworld. Here's why. You're not just a spectator, but someone who wants to dive in and co-create new exciting worlds together with trailblazing leaders like our guests. And the latest, greatest opportunity to do so that you need to know about is in Superworld, an augmented reality virtual world consisting of more than 64 billion virtual land plots mapped geographically to the actual surface of our beautiful home planet Earth. As we speak, bold new pioneers are literally breaking digital ground, snatching up 100 meter by 100 meter plots of virtual NFT-backed land, land which entitles them to a share of all revenues generated on their Superworld plots. This means that as Superworld grows in population and activity, you as virtual landowner can actually earn a share of all advertising, gaming, commerce, analytics, and data associated with your plot. It's pretty cool. If you want to join us 
in owning a part of this special new world, visit our referral link edgeofnft.com slash superworld to join us in Superworld as a member of the Edge of NFT family. And because we are so very excited to welcome you, every fifth person to join us using this link will receive some really cool Superworld swag, compliments of Superworld and Edge of NFT. Visit edgeofnft.com slash superworld to get started, support the show, and show your enthusiastic appreciation for Superworld, our groundbreaking sponsor. We'd love to get to know you a little bit better as that human being, if that's okay as well. Yeah, sure. Yeah, man. Let's do some edge quick hitters. So as a reminder, what they are is just 10 questions that we ask you. It's a fun, quick way to get to know you a little bit better. We're looking for short, single word or few word responses, but feel free to expand if you get the urge. Ready to jump in? Sure, let's do it. All right. All right, he's caffeinated, so he's ready to go finally. <laughs> yeah, Lo- reloaded on caffeine. Okay, finally awake. <laughs> Question number one, what's the first thing you remember ever purchasing in your life? Would have been like some snack or lollipop or something like that. <laughs> if we ever talk about real life. Yeah, yeah, it can be anything. Yeah, first thing you remember. I- I'm guessing you have a snack shack then at the house. You got a sweet tooth. Yeah, I do like, do love lollies. Yeah, nice, nice. Cool. Question number two. What's the first thing you remember ever selling in your life? Oh, that's a tough one. It would have, honestly, would have been like something at school, you know, like selling like Pokemon cards or Magic the Gathering cards or something like that. Yeah. Now, here's the real question. (laughs) Did you change the price based on how much of a sucker you thought the other person was? (laughs) Oh, I I probably didn't think about it at all. I was a little kid. (laughs) Wasn't that smart yet. Right on. Okay. Question number three. What's the most recent thing you purchased? I got a phone recently so that I could uh, actually play Test Guild of Guardians on mobile on Android. Oh, nice. Right on. Question number four. What's the most recent thing you sold? Definitely an NFT. (laughs) Would have probably been one of the many NFT drops that have come out recently. (laughs) Do you remember specifically? You already sold your board eight, so it's not that. It's not that. No, no. I think it would have been like one of the profile picture drops that came out recently. Probably bought and sold some. Not a hodler in every sense, right? So definitely flipping some stuff over there. I like it. I like it. Cool. So number five then, what's your most prized possession? This would probably be, like, I'm not that materialistic. So it'd probably be, if you talk about, you know, more tangible, it'd probably be something along the lines of like, like photo related stuff, like photos and videos of, you know, old like trips or, or like with friends and things like that. I think that's more valuable because it's like brings you back to, to that time rather than, I don't know, like a car or something. <laughs> something that's not replaceable, basically. That yeah, you might for sure. be scared to lose. Yeah. Memories, yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. Of course. Well, it does play into the next question, number six, which is if you could buy anything in the world, digital, physical service and experience that's currently for sale, what would that be? That's a good question. I'll probably, if I could buy anything in the world, probably try to do something more impactful, more charitable. So think about how I could like buy some kind of business or something that would help, you know, people around the world long-term. Right on. There's definitely a lot of those for sale or, uh, or that, uh, <laughs> that could be built. That's for sure. Yeah. Cool. Uh, number seven, if you could pass on one of your personality traits to the next generation, what would that be? I'd say motivation. I think motivation powers, a lot of things like people can do a lot more if they're motivated or they won't want to do anything. <laughs> and so just being motivated to do any, like whatever you're passionate about, I think is super powerful. Indeed. Flip side of that, if you could eliminate one of your personality traits from the next generation, what would that be? (laughs) Probably, I don't know how to describe this, but being more focused on 
the now. So like less kind of always thinking about the future, but just being like, soak everything in, relax and enjoy, you know, the moment. I think that's super valuable, something I should do more. Well, given the success of uh, Guild of Guardians so far in this launch, I think uh, now's a good moment as any to take that in and appreciate it. But I know you got a lot left to do. So <laughs> question nine is a little easier. What did you do just before joining us on the podcast? I was in bed. <laughs> I just woke up. <laughs> Hitting the snooze button. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Warring that coffee as well. Okay. Question number 10. What are you going to do next after uh, the podcast is over? We have uh, an exciting day. We have a, a new joiner in our team. And so I'm actually going to be onboarding them, getting them slowly up to speed with what's everything that's going on. So that's exciting. Is there a cultural slash hazing component to the onboarding process? No, no, no. We, we try to give people time to learn everything and onboard even though the space moving quite quickly. I think that's a, that's a key part, just making them, getting them up to speed on everything that's happening. Nice. Derek's put a positive frame on any possible malicious things that we put in front of him. Seems like too good of a guy. <laughs> Try not to be negative. <laughs> good. You're a good guy, Derek. You're a good guy. Don't fall into our traps. Cool. Well, thanks for indulging us there, man. Uh, great to get to know you a little bit better with those questions. I think that's it for Hedge Quick Hitters. Uh, and we have some, some hot topics to uh, sink our teeth into. Yeah, let's check out what's on the table here. First one is from uh, the Yahoo Finance news releases, NFT game developer was scammed out of $1 million of NFTs and Ethereum. Derek, I saw you nodding a little bit. Is that uh, something that's close to your heart in terms of uh, being uh, problematic or you know this story? I don't know this story specifically. Mm. How were they scammed? Yeah, so five of the 16 crypto punks that were already sold by the scammer were 149 ETH or almost $400,000 was the deal. So basically the scammer used a pseudonym and sold these 16 crypto punks that he really didn't own. <laughs> yeah, I so see, what happened to catch him, right? So somebody posted like a chance to win 10 crypto punks, right? And of course that looks sounds shady out of the gate, right? But this guy was like, okay, even though he owned all these other ones, this developer. You think you should know better, but he still kind of clicked through and he was checking out. He thought it was legit. And somehow it had generated a MetaMask error or a supposed MetaMask error. And this guy, you know, of course you're moving fast. We're all moving fast. He didn't really think about it. He went and he clicked through and he thinks he's in MetaMask. He drops his seed phrase in there. And in seconds, his CryptoPunks are gone. They're out of there. And then shortly thereafter, as Josh noted, they were like sold, like boom, 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 five of them yeah. sold, total like 385,000, it really sucks. And yeah, to me, when I hear this, I'm just like, well, number one, this is not a noob to the crypto space or NFT space, right? This is a developer, he knows what's going on, obviously made a, a, a bad mistake here, but but I don't, I've definitely seen some pretty well-crafted notes that are, you know, phishing scams or whatever. And I've come close, I haven't, I haven't clicked on them, but I, I've almost, right? Like there's, they're, they're really mm -hmm. good. Like the, the language they're using, the formats they're using, the way they're, they're naming the email addresses, everything. And I mean, this guy got got, it sucks. Uh, but it, to me, it's just like, you gotta be so careful. You, even as busy as we are, as many freaking tabs that we have open and projects we're working on, we gotta have that awareness in the back of our minds so that we at least pause before revealing any kind of password or clicking through to crazy links or anything like that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. On that note, lately, even we've been, people have been trying to punk our 
listeners with at Edge of NFT. Yeah, yeah. With these trades, oh, give me one Bitcoin and get one and a half Bitcoin back. No, <laughs> we're, we are not asking anybody to send any Bitcoin or Ethereum to anybody else for the record. Yeah, apparently that's that's the thing that people are posing as us, right? We've hit that level of status. Yeah, that's You guys have made it. That's how you know yeah. you've made I it. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah. I don't know. Do you ever come close to hitting yeah. any of these damn scans, Eric? I yeah, this, I think these... It's really tough like this, and it really sucks for the fan when it gets scammed because it can happen to anyone, right? I've definitely seen a lot of different stuff. I haven't been scammed myself, but I, I've seen the scams evolve in terms of how good they are. Like at the beginning might have been some, you know, message in broken English, but give me one, one Bitcoin, right? And then now that's people create bots in a Telegram channel with like 10,000 people and they get the bots sending all these like journal messages, hey, I just... Thanks for the Bitcoin. I just sent mine and like, here's my transaction of, of getting it back. And like, they're getting really creative with this. And there's even now, I don't know if you guys have seen this, like there's these dodgy links that people can send. So it, it like, they'll send you a folder. I tell you to download and check out their art, but really it's like a .exe file. When you click on it, you instantly lose your seed phrase. And it just looks like a, you know, image or something. So I think we're only, it's only going to get more intense because the game, the industry is so, has so much money in it. It's really up to, unfortunately, up to the user to make sure that they're being safe because they're the, they're, pe- they're the only person who knows the C phrase. So if I'm the only person who knows my C phrase, I need to make sure not to give it out or not to do- download any dodgy files or not, not to do anything like that. But it's tough. All right. Thank you for sharing that too. Yeah, that's important to get get the word out about some of these things and, and let people know what's problematic. Should we uh, move on to the next hot topic here? Yeah. yeah. All right, let's hit it. This one is about something that Derek, you may have a, a little knowledge of. The headline is, why are board ape avatars taking over Twitter? And half of what's interesting about this is this is an article in the New Yorker. And I'm, <laughs> I remember just like, I don't know, maybe it was a month ago. I don't know when board apes first hit the scene. This was just kind of a thing where a friend of Josh and I was like, have you heard of these board ape things? Man, like what's going on with these? Like, check this out. You know, I don't know. Is it a thing? I thought about getting one, but I didn't. And it's not going away. Derek, you might have gotten bored of your board ape and let it go. But uh, <laughs> it seems like people are really uh, latching onto this and they keep going yeah. with it. What was the appeal for you of the board ape and, and why you got involved when you did? So board apes came out when every other project was doing these kind of like increasing pricing sales where first 1,000 sell for one amount, next 1,000, the price will be high, et cetera. So these ramped up pricing curves. And then so this project came out and they said, hey, we're not doing any of that. We're just doing a fair launch. Everything's the same price. And I was like, wow, this is so innovative. <laughs> Everything's priced the same. And by doing that, they actually built this community, which was like, yes, like I, I like these values. I believe in this community. And they got a lot of attention that way. It's like the first project in a while to have, have done that. And so they were the first project to, to do that. And I think by doing that, they got a lot of early traction. They have some pretty cool art, good thing, like in terms of the apes as well. So people are, like like showing it off. And I think what they do really well, which is more nuanced, I guess, is that they have like the pictures themselves of the apes are very easy to show off and it's easy to look at one quickly, like a tiny, you know, avatar on your screen, look at it and, and tell whether or not it's rare based on like what traits it has. So they do that really well. It's not very cluttered. And so people like showing off. It's actually the, the main reason why people like NFTs in general is because they can then show them off to other people <laughs> and be part of this club. And so I think they've done a really good job there of building it out. They've got like pretty good distribution out of the 10,000 apes. There's 5,000 unique owners or something now. And they've also brought in a lot of 
well, I, this is my perception, but I think they've brought in a lot of newer people into the space as well, who previously weren't as in, like, they might've gone into NFTs this year, for example, or in the last few months, and then they've kind of joined this club. And so for the, I think it's, it's kind of built this pretty cool community. So they've done a good, really good job there. Yeah. I mean, just to expand on that, one of our partners on the show is Bright Moments. They have a in real life NFT gallery in, in Venice, California. Ethan flew in from Chicago partially to pick up his crypto Venetian at this gallery. But they had a spontaneous beat up on Wednesday that I was kind of irritated. I didn't even know about in where members of this DAO because I'm, I'm not an eight holder at this moment. So I didn't get the memo. And they've created like such a strong community that they're doing these spontaneous events. And go beyond that, a lot of the board eight holders in LA applied for a grant from the board eight endowment. There's now an endowment <laughs> fund for eight community management. And they got $3,000 to throw a very special party at bright moments. And so I came in Sunday to touch base with the crew. And normally the white walls are painted with graffiti and apes everywhere. There's apes on the wall. I go in the back room and they did a replica of the board ape bathroom with like buoys and nets and then a bathroom with all these apes on the wall. So I'm sure this is the beginning of more board ape events to come at, at right moments, but it was off the hook popular and that's special when you're bringing together a community that's so strong virtually that they want to meet each other in real life. And people can have came from all over, at least California. And California's a pretty big state, but even beyond California to be at this party. I love that. Yeah. I think that's amazing. And I think, you know, they've done a really good job there. Of, of that, And it's really community driven. Like I think their community is other ones who create stuff like this and want to do drive a lot of this. So, I can already see Derek's mind wandering towards Guild of Guardians and always going to do with this, this factoid to make that game more popular. Now guys, one of the cool things though, too, that's happening with all of these characters that are being created is additional IP, like additional storylines that are developing around it. I know like Gary Vee with V Friends, he's talking about that, like really like building the next Disney on the back of these, was it 268 or, or so characters he created? It's happening with Board Apes too, where they're they're like, putting specific ones on, uh, on different products and creating cartoons about it. I think on YouTube, there's a cartoon. This is stuff we don't talk about that much, but the growth of these characters and the community behind them, it's really an infinite amount of possibilities out there. That's what I get pumped about. Yeah, absolutely. I have to be full disclosure about our dedication to getting into the Bored Ape realm. Even though Josh said we were disappointed, he couldn't access the, an event on Wednesday, we had the opportunity, and when I was staying there, to go to one at 2 a.m. What was that? Sunday morning, right? When we were out Saturday, and we just couldn't hack it. We had to go to sleep. <laughs> that is true. Weak sauce, guys. Weak sauce. Weak There'll be sauce. more. There'll be more. It's all good. <laughs> we, we drove a bike. <laughs> we were that tired that we were like 20 feet away. <laughs> we had to go home. Everybody's got excuses. All good. What else we got in here? <laughs> All right. Yeah, that's right. Let's check out the next item on the list here. All right. So next hot topics. NFTs can be a good pathway to draw women into crypto, says Lavinia Osborne. That's an interesting observation. I know that when I picked up my crypto Venetian at Bright Moments, I kind of was struck by the fact that it was 
interestingly enough, not only broad in terms of the gender of people represented, but broad in terms of the age range of people. There, I actually had a, he's, he's at least over 70 year old friend that I knew from a totally different world that lived in Venice who got his crypto Venetian before I did. So I think not only in terms of gender, but in terms of just appealing to a broad community, I have to agree with that sentiment that, that NFTs are making it just more accessible and interesting and fun. Mm. Yeah, I think that in general, like traditionally the space is like quite male dominated. But I think we're, we're seeing to, like, unfortunately, but, but we're beginning to see that shift, which is really good, I think. What, what kind and of what, what, seeing with Guild of Guardians? And I mean, is it generally male dominated? I don't know if you have any specific figures. Is there any attempt to either market towards a specific niche or make it more accessible? I think about like we, right? When, when they created the we, it seemed like they're really trying to say, what can we do to bring up? the entire family in and, you know, like play tennis or something, right? What kind of demographics are you tending to shoot for with Gilded Guardians? So I think traditionally mobile RPG games tend to target more of a male demographic. I think in our case, we want to make it appealing for both. And we want this also to reflect in the world and the characters and such. So we want it to make sure that there's characters that appeal to everyone. There's some ones which are like non-binary or something that you can't identify in the game. So like, we just want to make sure that we are being sensitive to this and it appeals to everyone. Although I think we do expect most of our players to, frankly, be, be male, just because of how the current demographic of players is. Right, yeah. yeah this is a short-term goal there. I think diversity yeah. is, is a long-term goal and, and it's one of the steps that, you know, we can all do to be inclusive of everyone with this amazing technology and, and NFTs. I think Miluk, uh, Kunis with Sonar Cats, she's done a great job of, of showing NFTs are cool to women as well. And that project has spun up into animation and all sorts of interesting things. We have one of the founders of Lexo coming on. They've done a collaboration with Chanel. You know, we had an amazing female founder from Digilax, Emma Jane McKinnon on. And, you know, fundamentally, I think that there's space for everyone. When it comes to NFTs and gaming and art, and I hope that we do a better job of promoting and supporting those types of projects as an industry. We have some other great folks coming on that are just doing cool things. And it's not about, is this a male? Is this a female project or founder? <laughs> is this cool? And, and can you relate to what's going on with this project? Mm. Yeah, it's interesting. Some of the percentages in the uh, in the article um, said 34% of women work in tech or tech. The tech industry is comprised of 34% women. And then the blockchain industry is still only about 12%. Uh, certain that the NFT space then as the sub you know category is probably representative there of a very similar percentage, which they don't have specifically. So, you know, it is, it is interesting. Uh, and I think part of it's getting the word out, you know, just getting the word out. I think every company we've worked with or interact with or partnered with is a, is a, company that has uh, an inclusive culture and it's really important as mm. part of their core values. I think everyone probably on this episode that we've talked to, which is cool, but there's a question around awareness and opportunity in the space and gosh, you yeah. get across the full spectrum of all the possible skill sets and interests that, that people can deploy in NFTs. I mean, the sky's the limit when it comes to um, pretty much anybody that wants to do it from any background. Yeah. And I think a lot of it starts with the team as well, because mm. often people build for themselves for the Buddha, for, you know, as someone who's building a company, the Buddha, for something that's for themselves or people like themselves. 
So like diversity at that level is, is super powerful and valuable. I think a lot of companies recognize this. So we'll definitely see more in the future. Yeah, you know, we've checked our stats and, you know, as much as you can get genuine stats from, you know, places like Spotify and Apple. And we sometimes are disappointed that we don't have a higher female uh, listener base. But in hearing the stats that you called out, Jeff, you know, we might actually have a significant one in comparison to other types of projects. And I think given that it's useful to call out, just as we do to anyone who's listening, to get involved in the space. And I think there's a special opportunity for women to get into the space and fill a niche and be a leader and lead others, show them kind of what they're finding interesting about it, but just sort of have a unique position where they can stand out a little bit more from the crowd and do something interesting. So it's another call to action for folks to dive in and get in the sandbox and start playing around with us. Most definitely. Well, um, I think that's it for hot topics. Yeah. So I think that's coming to an end here with the, with the episode, but Derek, man, it's been really great chatting with you, learning more about Guild of Guardians, learning more about you. I have a, a feeling that the Guild of Guardians is going to be taking a lot of Josh's time here in the near future. <laughs> I know his personality. Good. <laughs> but where can folks go, man, if they want to learn more about the project, about yourself and, and just track what's going on in your world? Where can they learn yeah. about you? So the first place to start is probably just, just check out our website. There's, there's quite a lot of information there, which is just www.guildofguardians.com. And we actually have a white paper on there as well for folks who want to get even deeper into like how exactly the game will work, which, which is obviously very important. And then definitely encourage anyone who's interested to follow us on Twitter and also join our Discord group. And Discord is really where a lot of the community lives. We try to focus everyone in there. So definitely encourage anyone who's just, just get involved, say hi, ask any questions that you might have, et cetera. Is it just uh, at Guild of Guardians or, or where, where can they follow on uh, Twitter? Twitter is at Guild of Guardian without the S because we otherwise it goes over the Twitter character limit. So that's like the longest we could do. <laughs> yes, yeah, <it's> confusing. Yeah. <laughs> it's a, it's but otherwise, moment. Guild of Guardians everywhere else sounds yes. like it. <laughs> You guys are generously going to give our listeners one legendary NFT. So we'll do a, a contest associated with the release of this show. But tell us more, what is a legendary NFT in terms of the Guild of Guardians experience? So the core of Guild of Guardians is around these like heroes or guardians. And you use these heroes to go into dungeons to, to play with. So basically they're, they're required by the game. We have these founder NFTs that we're selling of different rarities. So that's kind of rare, epic and legendary founder NFTs that we're selling. And so I know for, for your, one of your lucky listeners, I suppose, they'll be receiving this legendary tier hero, which actually has like aren't available anymore, which is sold out. And so we'll be, yeah, giving one to you guys to give away at some point. Wow. Nice. That's really generous. Thank you so much. And we'll, I'm sure our listeners in, in your community will appreciate that given that this is sold out. Ooh, I should tell them about it. <laughs> yeah, man. I'm so pumped to go down the freaking Guild of Guardians rabbit hole now, guys. Oh, this is so cool. All right. Excited. Well, uh, I think we've reached the outer limit at the edge of NFTs for today. So thanks for exploring with us. We've got space for more adventures on this starship. So invite your friends and recruit some cool strangers that will make this journey all so much better. How? Go to iTunes right now, rate us, say something cool, and then go to edgeofnft.com to dive further down the rabbit hole. Want to help co-create Edge of NFT with us? Got guests you want to see on the episode? Questions for hosts or guests? An NFT you'd like us to review? Drop us a line at contact at edgeofnft.com or tweet at us at edgeofnft to get in the mix. Lastly, 
Be sure to stay tuned next week for more great NFT content. Thanks again for sharing this time with us today.